Welcome to Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Bob Nielsen and Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile. On episode 14, Bob and Sean reflect on a pretty good year. This year's corn crop in Indiana, I'll say, turned out amazingly good. The current estimate in November uh, for the state is 189 bushel per acre. 58 bushel, that's still a record for Indiana. Again, 57 and a half bushels is the record in 16 and 18. This podcast is made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs. Corn and soybean checkoff dollars are being invested wisely to help bring dollars back to your farm. We do this by defending and growing domestic and international demand for corn, soybeans, and livestock products. In fact, every checkoff dollar U.S. soybean farmers have invested in international promotion has resulted in an $18 return back to the farm. Learn more about these programs by visiting indianasoybean.com slash moving the pile. Brought to you by Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoff Dollars. Now your host for Purdue Crop Chat, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome into the Purdue Crop Chat Podcast. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, glad to have you along. And I'm here with the stars of the show, Bob Nielsen, Purdue Extension Corn Specialist, and Soybean Specialist, Sean Castile. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Well, guys, we're doing this a little bit differently today. We are still doing the podcast as usual that you can find at HoosierAgToday.com and on Apple Podcasts. But we're also doing this today via Facebook Live. So if folks have a question that they would like to ask you, they can pop those into the comments and we can do that and we plan to do this on future podcasts as well so folks can go and watch that at facebook.com slash hoosier ag today but we want to do a rundown of the season we just got done with this harvest season and i know that a lot of events uh, that, that you guys normally do are going virtual or have been canceled so i don't know maybe this is a bit of a warm-up for you guys to go through and give you a rundown of the season and bob we'll start with you what's happening with corn All right. Thanks, Eric. Um, And as you said, this is our first foray into making this podcast into a Facebook Live event. So there may be some glitches. I'll apologize for both of us right now. But I want to show just a couple of charts uh, that reflect on this past growing season and and then make a few other comments. So let me switch over. And uh, hopefully, uh, it looks like it's coming up the way I want to. Let me move my ugly face out of the way a little bit um that's so not enough as, you, need, you need to move it out more just go white i, I, I don't want to see his face right, let's keep moving it on out as far there as you go there you go yeah or well i could also here. make it really small if that was better but um but as i think as most people understand uh this year's corn crop in indiana i'll say turned out amazingly good uh it the current estimate in november uh, for the state is two, uh, 189 bushel per acre, which uh, ties the record uh, that we set only a couple of years ago. It represents a, a yield that's approximately 8% above the historical trend. And I say that uh, that, that 189 bushel is, is sort of a surprise, primarily given the widespread drought stress or near drought stress that we had across much of the northern half of, of the state and a few other areas. Uh, late in the season. And, you know, Sean and I have talked before how late drought, uh, you know, sometimes 
favor soybeans more over corn because of differences in flowering. But this crop came through way better than I expected it would be. And, and so I, you know, I, I guess if there's a, a blessing uh, to the season, uh, it was certainly this. Um, and we've talked before about uh, how this was uh, more of a normal year. And this chart is showing, again, let me move my face a little bit different. This chart is showing planting progress uh, for 2020, uh, which is the red squares on the graph. And uh, compared to a couple of other years, let me see if I can get a marker uh, up uh, and running on it. Maybe I can't. Um, but the 10-year average is the blue line. And what this is basically showing is that uh, this 2020 season uh, was basically on par. Uh, over here on the right is the ugly season of, of last year, 2019, which was such a delayed planting season. And so certainly I think the, the more normal progress this year stood out in even more stark contrast, simply because of the kind of year that we, end, that we went through uh, the year before that. And I'll just take us straight to uh, harvest progress. A similar looking graph 2020 are the dark red squares. Uh, the other years are shown by their colors. The 10 year average is the, the dashed blue line. And again, uh, the whole season basically was on par with the 10 year average all the way out to harvest. We had an excellent harvest season, a lot of, of uh, good open sunny days for harvest for both crops actually. And so, again, in contrast to 2019, we certainly got crops out of the field in much better shape. Uh, moistures were better uh, because it was not such a late planting year. And so, again, it, it, everything about this year was more on par with what we would expect to see. And I think coupled with the continued improvement in genetics that allow us, among other things, to tolerate the, the drought stress better, uh, we just ended up with uh, with, with really a, a pretty good year. So, you know, from that, I, I just want to make a few comments about um, achieving higher yields. And I'll throw this up just for you to think about. But, you know, I, as I've thought about you know, what is the secret to achieving high corn yields in the future? And it finally dawned on me, Sean, that the secret to getting those high yields in the future is to figure out why you're not getting them today. All right, that's pretty common sense. In other words, we're talking about, you know, identifying and mitigating these yield limiting factors that hold back yield and the, these limiting factors that are often specific to individual fields or individual farming operations. But this is really the secret to getting higher yields in the future. And, and so it, it certainly requires a lot of time and effort on, on our part to identify these yield limiting factors. And uh, and I just well, want to I'm remind... going to interrupt because I like yeah. interrupting you. So yeah. with this, these yield limiting factors, I, I think one of the things that we need to put into this is to identify you have kind of categories. What are the yield limiting factors that are year in and year out, right? So right. Get, get the big ones first, right? And then there's right. going to be the next stage that's going to say, okay, these are occasional and how do I manage those? The biggest bang for your buck is hitting the one that's going to be year in and year out and what that right. can do for you, right? And you, so you think what, about um, like a 2019 season where we had a lot of rain and, you know, early, early planting mm -hmm. season, water issues in a lot of our fields, poor drainage, right. so tile, that comes to mind, right? So th those kind right. of things that have the bigger impact uh, season long right. after season after season. Which, which is a good segue into reminding people that 
you know, we've got tools out there. We've got data sets out there to help us locate these problem spots. And, and maybe to, as Sean says, to, to identify those spots that are low yielding all the time versus low yielding once in a while. And so, you know, let's remember we've got yield maps. We have years and years and years of yield maps, most of us do. And, and they can be used as roadmaps to help us identify these problem areas in a field. And of course, on a typical yield map, the low yielding areas are usually shaded red and the high yielding areas are shaded green. But the key thing about yield maps is it allows us to focus our attention on these low yielding areas. And as Sean said, hopefully areas that are low yielding every year, because those are the bigger bang for the for the buck in terms of addressing this. Um, but it helps us focus our attention and makes us a little more efficient on trying to identify why are those red low yielding areas low yielding? Is it nutrient? Is it pH? Is it drainage? Is it you know a host of other things? And then along with the yield maps, uh, you know, let's remember that we have more and more access to aerial imagery. And Sean, you may talk more about that later as you as you t- talk about soybeans. But but understand that these aerial maps also are roadmaps that we can use to identify maybe often the same problem areas that the yield maps do. But the neat thing about aerial imagery is it allows us to identify the problem areas earlier in the season where there maybe there's still time to go out and diagnose the causes. The symptoms are still there. The evidence is still fresh. Uh, we can do the, the, the tissue analyses. We can do the crop scouting. Uh, but they're very nice supplements to yield maps that allow us to identify problem areas. And, and if we're trying to increase yields, it's all about figuring out why am I not getting high yields in certain areas of the field now? So, so, you know, I just wanted to throw that out and I'll finish with this and then I'll turn it over to Sean, but, you know, keep in mind that, that there, there are a lot of um, places on the web for information. Um, And of course I like to tout the chat and chew cafe as, as one of them. It's a website that I've had for years and, and it's got several components to it. There's um, there's the timely news article areas that are uh, that are in the middle that have newsletter links from all over the Midwest. Uh, over on the left side, there's a list of educational events, and so and I don't restrict them to just Indiana. So there's a one at Minnesota going on today. Uh, there's the C- annual uh, CCA conference, which is virtual, and I dare say that if there is an upside to this pandemic, it's that now so many of these large educational conferences and educational programs have gone virtual, which means you and I can now travel all over the country and beyond and actually attend good meetings and get good information. So take advantage of of many of these that I've listed on here um, because uh, I've got them listed by month. Uh, but there's a lot of programs out there this winter that we can all take advantage of. Some of them are free, some of them aren't, but uh, but nevertheless, there's a lot of good information. So I think with that, uh, Sean, I will stop there and I'll turn it over to you and, and let you carry the ball. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Bob. Let me go ahead and get my screen to share. All right, so within this... Um, I want to just kind of echo Bob's slide on the yield map and the aerial image. I don't have it in this talk, but uh, it's something that I'm really keen on on the soybean front is that, you know, we've got these yield maps to identify, uh, help us identify the low yielding, high yielding areas. 
you think about a soybean header going across there now, 35, 40, 45 foot in some cases, we're losing out a lot on this precision. So we can still have these, these bigger gobs or, or areas. And with the yield exactly. map, what I like about the aerial imagery, especially on the soybean and, and later flights, I, we're doing work on early season flights and stand assessments, but boy, the ones that are coming later near uh, August, September during senescence, that's when I can really pick out the differences of a field and how the soybeans are responding. And a lot of cases, we don't catch those specific areas with a yield map because it gets kind of washed, right? And so um, it, it gets just diluted in that way. So that's one of the things I really like about the, the aerial imagery on the on the soybean front to catch those differences. Yeah, no, that's um, an excellent point. And I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and you know, I've got examples of individual nitrogen applicator rows that weren't putting out as much nitrogen and that severe nit- nutrient deficiency as you say, Sean, it will never show up in the yield monitor because of your you're harvesting eight rows at a time or 12 rows at a time for, through the combine. You'll never find the one row that's short. So I, I agree with that. Yep. So all I'm going to do uh, for today is to to review this, this season, some of the highlights and, and what we had. So, you know, the same kind of deal that, you know, we're increasing yields across the years, no doubt. And what I use this for is to say, okay, how are we comparing to previous years? And, and that's where I want to get into uh, this, this data set here. Uh, I got the last 10 years or so, uh, what our yield levels are at the state level, how much uh, deviation uh, based on percent and then uh, bushel differences. And so uh, 2010, 11, 12, obviously those years, think about 12 being, being less uh, yields in terms of the drought, 10, 11% off. But then I want to bring in the, the next ones here. When I look at 2014, 2016, 2018 for the, the soybean crop, those years were high yielding years for us. Um, I'm not saying there's a pattern on the even years. Maybe there is, who knows? But I, I think it is a matter of, okay, in particular, we went 55 and a half bushel in 14. That's over 10%. And, and I think this percent's where we need to really lie on uh, where, where we're having this increase. Uh, 2016 and 18 were our yield records. So 57 and a half bushel, so 12 and a half, 10% above our yield trend. And then when it came in August of 2020, uh, we were forecasted at 61 bushels. So phenomenal yield forecast in August, uh, 15% above. That just kind of puts puts the mark in what the season was like for two-thirds of the season. And when I ask anyone about what month makes or breaks soybeans, you know, it's typically that August. Well, today and these varieties and our management today, it's August and September. And so that that's what really came together in the 2020 season is now let's step through the USDA at the Indiana level where we went from 61 bushel beans now to 60 for August for September and October. So still uh, highest yield on record if that was coming together. Uh, Where we're at as of November report, 58 bushel. That's still a record for Indiana. Again, 57 and a half bushels is the record in 16 and 18. We'll see here in a couple of days what the the numbers come out of the December report. I don't anticipate those changing. I mean, most everything was already harvested. Um, And so what I like to put into this is the context of the planting progress. And and I think that's going to be echoing what Bob talked about. You know, you go to the 2020 uh, green line. Uh, we had a half our crop planted by 15th of May. And when you look at the uh, pink, this is typically our five-year average, you know, and that five-year average has late planting years in it. So it's actually shifted. Normally, I think about half our crop is planted by the 21st of May and, 
and uh, the five-year average with the late plantings like we have in 2019 pushed us near the end of the month. So 2020 was a season of planting that was on par with where we want to be. Timely planting is huge on soybean production. Uh, when you want to look at that with the 2018 high yielding year, again, uh, planted earlier and they maintain that all the way through. 2016 and 14, the other high yielding years, they're kind of in between. Um, what happened the rest of the season was uh, we kind of came into a place where our blooming, our pods were coming in line with the five-year average. So that's where the, the soybean plant adjusts based on uh, photo period and heat units. And so we, we gained probably some very good node development with our earlier planting. That's where we can gain some ground and even some branching and com compact plants on some of these fields. Um, but by the time that we got to August, and uh, Bob alluded to this, I'm going to just thumb through these. They're, they're just to see how this drought really set in, right? The August 20 report was 61 bushel yield forecast. We were just starting to form pods, and then, golly, we got to make sure we retain those pods and fill them out. And so this is what happened. That, that 61 bushel state level just started to erase away as we go into August and have the drought, so yellow being abnormally dry, now coming into... The, the D1 category, uh, moderate drought in there in the Northeast, and it just started to really expand. And so this is a point where we have a decent cake, right? We probably have a three-layer cake, a nice big old cake, and icing on it. You know, sprinkles have already are starting to be taken off, and maybe even some of the icing in terms of what we, we got. And so um, great yield potential, good pod load, but the, they just weren't retained, and then we weren't able to finish filling those seeds out. Even with all that being said, if because we planted a little bit earlier, we didn't get hit nearly as hard with our seed fill as we would have if it was just even a week or two later. So that was um, the blessing to disguise with having a, a decent planting progress in 2020. Uh, and then I just want to think about what does this look like in 2020, September versus uh, 2018. So here's September 1 of 2020, over half the state abnormally dry to dr uh, drought condition. And then when we go to our other high yielding year 2018, I mean, there was hardly any, any remnants of, of abnormally dry. So again, just thinking through, if we had the opportunity to, with rain to finish filling these pods and retain them, yeah, I think we would hit the mark of 61 bushel at the state level. But, you know, Mother Nature uh, didn't give us that water. So with that, I just want to kind of end with here's how we, we fared and this good to excellent. Uh, so 2016 and 2018, uh, there are 70%, 75% good ratings most of the season. And then the 2020, when we we're looking at that, that split right between July and August, we were right at that 65% good to excellent. So a very good rating. And then it just had that slow decrease. And again, that's going part and parcel with the dry conditions and, um, and the heat. So with that, our harvest was great. I, I can't complain at the state level. I can complain with the personal level, having a part that literally, Eric, my part from Italy just came in last week. So um, it, it took us a while to get that in, but we, we got our harvest in. I'm just hoping that everyone else didn't have those kind of woes 
Uh, again, we talked about the last uh, time we had the podcast. I think we've had a good opportunity to get a lot of fall work done and advancing to the, the next season. Want to check in on your checkoffs? Twice a month, you can do just that with the brand new Move in the Pile podcast. Listen to the most up-to-date news about your corn and soybean checkoff investments, along with a brief market report after every episode. Sign up to receive the podcast today by texting CHECKOFF to 31996 or visit indianasoybean.com slash move in the pile. Brought to you by Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoff Dollars. Now your host, Eric Pfeiffer, to wrap up this edition of Purdue Crop Chat. And if you've got questions for Bob and Sean, you can drop those in the comments right now at uh, our Facebook page. And if you're listening to this later on, uh, feel free to go back and watch the video and drop your questions in there. We can always get to them in another podcast as well. So be sure to drop those in at uh, our Facebook page. Uh, Bob, let's let's go back here for a moment and talk about corn. We we touched on this a little bit, but we talked about how dry it got, and yet we still had some incredibly strong yields. How much did we miss out on because of that dry weather? What could this crop have looked like? Oh, that's a really good question because the lateness of this of this drought. Uh, impacted more than anything else the weight of the kernels because population was already set earlier in the season kernel numbers were set we had pretty good pollination times and so kernel numbers were pretty good and the only thing left to influence was kernel weight and 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 it's a good question because even though 189 ties the record for statewide average yield i suspect if we'd have had timely rainfall during august and september uh, we could have easily added another 10 or 20 bushel to that statewide average number. I mean, it, kernel weight can can uh, waffle or, or, or change dramatically uh, and change the impact on yield. So I, I, knowing what some individual yields were around the state that had enough rainfall, I mean, there were a lot of reports of 250, 270 bushel corn, uh, we had some of those similar kinds of numbers in some of our research trials in areas of the state that had better rainfall. So, yeah, I, I think it could have been a phenomenal year if those drought conditions had not settled in, you know, mid to late summer. And Sean, same with soybeans. Yeah, Bob talked about the seed fill, and that's what I stress a lot on mine. I think we can have a swing of five to seven bushels easy just on seed size. And so when we think about the two crops, if you want to put them in a similar level of a, a yield difference. So I'm saying five bushel, you know, multiply that by three, that's about a 15 bushel swing. I think that's what Bob, you're saying right around that, that number too. So yeah, I think we had a lot of top end. Um, the thing that hit us is uh, even when a lot of guys were running the combines through, they're having to reset some of these fields that are a little more drought prone than others. And so with that, a lot of pods were going out the back but if you look close enough I mean there's nothing in them it, it was BB's doesn't even hit it it was smaller than that so it was sesame seed type right so yeah we definitely had the opportunity for five to ten bushel on a lot of these fields um, in that north northwest part of the state even timely planted I mean the drought conditions that were coming in so strong and severe we had fields that were running 40 bushel and you go an hour south 60 mile yeah. driving south and we had fields again prairie soils at that point they're running 75 to 85 easy. Right. And more rain. You know, and Sean, it also occurs to me, we, we should probably also mention that this is a good time of year to be looking at variety test results because 
you know, we've had another weird year, uh, partly because of the, the late severe drought in areas of the state, but we're in this era now of, of very erratic weather patterns one year to another that we can't predict. And one of the, there's two key things about choosing hybrids or varieties. One is looking obviously for genetics that have good yield potential itself. Just as importantly, at least in corn, I assume it's true for soybeans, just as importantly is the ability to yield well regardless of the growing conditions. And that's really important. They, they gotta be consistent. Yeah, we don't know what this coming season is going to be. It, it could be the coldest summer on record. It could be the hottest summer on record, uh, wettest, dry. We don't know. And so now's the time to really be focusing in on variety test results, whether it's from universities, whether it's from your seed company, but try to identify those hybrids that always sort of yield near the top of any variety trial you find them in. And if they're doing that, that probably means they're pretty tolerant of a wide range of growing conditions. And Sean, I, I assume the same importance in soybeans. Yeah, yeah. Yield potential, yield consisting. Those are the, the two factors that come into play when I do variety selection or, or anyone that should. So do your homework and getting those uh, figured out and how they're doing over the course of years, even though a lot of these do turn over. You got to bring in traits. You've got to bring in, you know, other aspects. You know, think about the soybean side. We've got uh, some of the high lakes that are out there. So maybe a premium. So maybe you've got to factor that into it. So it's yield potential yield consistency, but then also the market. So, I mean, if we are doing a little bit differences with the market to put that together, um, the thing on the soybean front that I would add, I don't know if, I don't think you guys play it as much as we do on the soybean front uh, is the maturity of that. And I mean, yeah, obviously mm. you've got different uh, lengths of your day, 112, right. 105, but on the right. soybean front, we, we seem to play that a little bit more and there's good reason for that. Mm. If we want to get an earlier being planted early and catch an old market price, assuming yields are going to be better. Or if we anticipate, again, this is where the crystal ball comes into play, right? If we had planted uh, last week of April, uh, a mid two or late two on an area that's typically a mid three, uh, we would have missed out on that late August, September dry condition and yielded very well for that variety and still could have been right. upwards of that 80 bushel on some of those better fields. So um, right. having the maturity selection comes into play and again, to try to draw out the growing season and draw out the harvest season. And on the corn side, it's maybe not the, the same thought process, but uh, it's always worth looking at the different a range of hybrid maturities because if you can find let's say that you typically plant 111 day corn but if you can find 108 day or 106 day with the same genetic yield potential well then it makes sense to, to plant more of those earlier season hybrids simply because you're going to save on drying costs in the fall so they're again maybe not the same thought process but it's certainly worth looking at a range of maturities and corn hybrids just to make sure that you, you're identifying the best genetic yield potential. And Sean, I, I wanted to go back here a moment because one of those slides that, that you showed uh, really kind of intrigued me, and it was the drought uh, conditions between this year and 2018, our, our last really good yielding year. Right. And, and, and there was much less drought in that year, but yet this year we still out-yielded that year, Correct. Right. So uh, let's see if I can even share screen again. So is is that, that is that genetics is, in those two short years? What what is it that that still allowed that to happen? Yeah. So I think I've got it back up here now. Yeah. So this is what we're talking about. Twenty twenty September first week of September, and we've got over 
half to two thirds of the states in abnormally dry to drought conditions versus 2018, even just two, two years earlier. I mean, we do have advances. We anticipate every year that we're going to have some level of a yield increase because of, of genetics that come into play. Um, right now, uh, we're 58 bushel at a state level. We'll see what, you know, two days if we're at 58 or 57.5. So, I mean, in my mind, you know, half a bushel between 2020 and 2018, it, there's no difference in that, that part. I think that uh, what comes into play is that we've got uh, good yielding varieties now that can do exceptionally well we've got earlier plantings that are coming into play if if we had um the, not as much drought in the 2020 season here I, I think yeah we would have just blown blown the socks off of 2018 bob any final thoughts here as we close out the purdue crop chat podcast again i just come back to you know take advantage of this off season look back on everything you did this past year look for those problems in you know, again, going back to even using your yield maps, all right, we got opportunity now to still do some soil sampling to, and try to figure out is it nutrients that are holding us back or, or what's going on. Uh, but again, now is the time to be reviewing what happened last year and trying to identify what can I do better in my operation. And I'd reiterate that again, part of that process is attending educational events. So certainly look at all the programs that are available on the chat to list and, and take advantage of some of these tremendous educational opportunities that are out there this winter, I suppose, and thanks to the pandemic, but, but nevertheless, take advantage of them because there's certainly a lot more out there that you can easily take advantage of this year versus a, a more normal year. Sean, anything from you? Yeah. So I, I think, I'll echo and just add a little bit of depth to that. And what what Bob was talking about is see where those yield loan manufacturers are, how to advance it. Um, the yield maps, I mean, too often they sit, all right? They sit in a file somewhere. So even if it's not you, you have a consultant that you work with, take that opportunity. Again, you know, maybe not face-to-face now, but virtually to work through that. But then I want to know the why, all right? And I think that's the biggest thing is, yes, those are yield areas that are low yielding i want to know why so take the time in the 2020 season go to the 2019 i personally like to as i've pointed out at a state level 2014 2016 2018 2020 those are high yielding years do that match up with your farm if it does okay let's figure out why is it just growing season and then go back to a few of the the oddball ones in between it's like what's different about those I mean, 2019 is going to be easy, right? You didn't plant till June 15th instead of May 15th. But let's at least look at the differences and understand the why so then we can make decisions that are in our control for the 21 season as well as the seasons to come. That's going to wrap up this Purdue Crop Chat podcast. Again, you can find it uh, on our Facebook page. You can watch the recording there as well as HoosierAgToday.com and on Apple Podcasts. Gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. We look forward to doing it again sometime. Have a Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. This has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extension's Dr. Bob Nielsen and Dr. Sean Castile, made possible by the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoffs, the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, and the Indiana Soybean Alliance. The Checkoffs are pleased to help bring you agronomy insights from Purdue Extension. Purdue Crop Chat was moderated by Hoosier Ag Today's Eric Pfeiffer. I'm Andy Eubank for Purdue Crop Chat, a service of Purdue University Extension and Who's Your Ag Today? 
Timely, relevant, credible.